Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. So lots of stories this week, some little, some big. Um, to start with, Debris, which debuted this past season on NBC, was one of the few shows left without a decision on the broadcast networks, whether it was renewed or canceled. It was canceled this week. Bye-bye. Um, there's <laughs> This story is so weird. I don't even... So there's a, this new show that's going to be coming out, and there's very little information about it right now, but it's called Newsbeat, and it's being... Are you ready for this? It's being produced by Clay Aiken, and it is a hour-long news program. So, I mean, think like The View, think Rachel Maddow, only the hosts are drag queens. <laughs> and not just any drag queens. The hosts are going to be Bianca Del Rio, winner of season six of RuPaul's Drag Race, the best winner of the entire franchise, in mine and all sane people's opinions. Um, Nina West, who was on season 11 of Drag Race, Delta Work from season four, or was it three? Season three of Drag Race, plus Lady Bunny. <laughs> like, first of all, this is, that's a great lineup of queens. Second of all, I, I need this now. I need this right now. This sounds like the gayest shit ever. I need it. But I have no idea when it's coming, where it's coming. It's just, it's it's coming at some point. <laughs> so that's fun. Also, Denai Guerrera, who is um, the star of the Black Panther films. She is in the Dora Milaje, the, um, the security. The, I don't know what they're actually called. The, the Warriors the security warriors. I don't, it's been a long time since I saw that movie. Don't hate me. Uh, she is getting her own Disney plus origin story spinoff series as Okoy. So that will be fun. What else happened this week? The Tony awards announced that they are finally going to be airing in September at the end of September across two nights, but they're going to be on Paramount plus not on CBS. And this isn't a huge surprise because the Tony Awards ratings have been catastrophically bad the past couple of years. And in this particular case, the nominees are also very awkward because they announced them um, during the pandemic and the eligibility was all fucked up because of what shows were open, what shows were still in previews for the season because, again, of the pandemic. So to kind of coincide with when Broadway is reopening toward the end of September, beginning of October, the Tony Awards are going to air then as well. I believe it's September 28th, and that's going to be on Paramount+. Plus. And the second night of this is going to be a celebration of Broadway, so like a concert. So it's being broken up into two separate parts, airing in September on Paramount+. Plus. Speaking of Paramount+, Plus, we also got the announcement of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 6, which is going to be premiering on Thursday, June 24th, and you can bet your ass I'll be talking about it because, as you know, I have a lot of feelings about drag and about drag race. This is also going to be on Paramount+. Plus. If I didn't mention that, I think I did. Whatever. It is early, and I have not had my coffee yet. Um, the cast is uh, not the greatest, <laughs> in my opinion, we're really stretching the meaning of the word all-stars. It's um, Juju B had a nice read during All-Stars 5 saying that it was some stars and 
boy, oh boy, is that true in this season. There, um, there are just a lot of queens who went out really early in their seasons, and not queens who went out early in their seasons, but you know, had like a lot of attention after leaving. Like, I feel if you're going to do someone who is an early out, bring back someone like a Kelly Mantle, who was first out in season six, but has a huge drag career outside of the show on like TV and movies and that kind of thing. And like, after she was on the show, had this huge push behind her because her production company for a film she was in uh, campaigned for her to... Um, be nominated for an Oscar as the first to be nominated for Best Actress. So it would be the it was the first campaign of a trans or gender non-conforming person being pushed for the role of the gender of the character rather than the actor. So someone like that. But do we really need to see Serena fucking Chacha, who was I think the second out in season five and is only known for how everyone attacked her and hated her? Like the most, one of the most iconic episodes of Untucked ever is when Detox says, I have had it officially. And that is about Serena Chacha. And Alyssa Edwards said, girl, shut the fuck up, girl. That is also from, uh, that is also in the fight with Serena Chacha. And like, she's, she was just an asshole. And like, I don't really need to see Serena Chacha again. And then it's a lot of girls from season 11. One of the most disliked contestants in Drag Race history, Silky Nutmeg Ganache is on this season. I just don't really get why. I will say a couple of things. There is a lot of representation of plus-size queens. We have Ginger Minj, Eureka, and Silky Nutmeg Ganache, and Jiggly Caliente, who has lost a lot of weight since her season and has also come out as a trans woman. She is has been doing some guest spots on Pose. Uh, she is also on this season, as is another trans contestant from season two, Sonique, who is now going by Kylie Sonique Love. So that's really great to see some trans representation, some representation of some plus size queens, a lot of queens of color. Again, Silky, uh, Akira Davenport from season 11, Raja O'Hara from season 11, Yara Sophia from season three and All Stars 1, Serena Chacha. Um, I'm sure there are others that I am missing because I don't have the cast list in front of me and I'm going off the top of my head. Uh, I am Team Jan, Jan from season 12. I was Team Jan for season 12 before she went in because I love Stephanie's Child, the girl group that she is in. And I just love Jan. I think she is so freaking talented and bubbly and cute and adorable and funny. And I love her and I'm Team Jan and nobody else. <laughs> um, oh, also Trinity K. Bonet. That's who I knew I was missing from season six. I love Trinity too. So my ideal top three is probably Jan, Trinity K. Bonet, and Jiggly Caliente. That's who I'm rooting for. Uh, I don't see any of those people actually making the top three, except maybe Jan, because she was fucking robbed on her season and everyone knows it. Uh, yeah. So All-Star 6 is coming June 24th. That's fun. And then finally, <laughs> to end on a downer, uh, Bill Cosby, America's former dad, was denied parole this week. Um, if you were living under a rock and don't remember, back in, I think, 2018... Maybe 2018 sounds right to me. It was either 17 or 18. Bill Cosby was convicted on three counts of aggravated indecent assault for drugging and raping women. Uh, yeah, so he was sentenced to three to 10 years in state prison in Pennsylvania. He had a $25,000 fine. And with parole, his earliest possible release date is actually coming up. Okay, so this has to be 2018. Sorry, I'm doing math in my head. 
Um, his earliest possible release date was coming up soon this year, I think in September. And he was denied that parole this week because apparently he is refusing to participate in the uh, requirements of his release, which is a treatment program for sexual and violent uh, offenders. And apparently he is not either not going to the meetings or going to these or programs and he's either not going to them or he's going to them and just not participating and, you know, being an old fuddy-duddy about it. So the Department of Corrections um, did not recommend him for parole. And as an 80-something, 83, 85, I should have looked this up, 83, he'll be 84 this year. As an 83-year-old man who is, you know, legally blind and a celebrity, like, you would think the man would want to get out of prison, considering that, like, if he ends up serving his 10 years, he's probably going to die in prison. You, I don't, I don't know. This whole, the whole Cosby case makes me super uncomfortable, not only because of what he was accused of doing and convicted of doing, but just that, like, there are so many people who refuse to um, acknowledge that he could or did do these things. Um, yeah, so it's, and and now he, he has appeals still open, so there is a chance that he will not serve his prison sentence, but it won't be because he is granted parole, because, again, he is not doing what he is supposed to be doing. Uh, but again, he does have an appeal open in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, I believe, and that should be coming up soon, where I'll have an answer about whether or not um, he will get uh, his his conviction overturned. I don't see it happening, but it's an option. Okay, coming up this week on the podcast, I am going to recap the first couple of episodes of Amazon's new young adult I don't know, thriller drama series, I don't really know how to describe it, called Panic, and also the season five finale of This Is Us on NBC. So stay tuned for that. I feel like I might be the only person still watching This Is Us, but I am still watching This Is Us. (laughs) Uh, Once upon a time, every single person I knew watched this show. Uh, But that seems to have changed this past season. Uh, Based on the ratings, it kind of started to tank there. And the fact that you could never figure out when the hell new episodes were on because the filming schedule was so erratic and then the airing schedule was so erratic. I feel like This Is Us is one of those shows that was most affected by the pandemic for a few different reasons. Like I said, one is that they kept switching around air dates and it was impossible to figure out what day or, or what date uh, episodes were airing on because they would have one episode and then a week off or two or three episodes and then a month off. So it was hard to keep up with in that way in trying to watch it live as it was airing. And also the pandemic really forced Dan Fogelman and the rest of the creative team's hand when it came to storytelling this season. Uh, It seemed pretty obvious that this story that season five of This Is Us told is not the story that was originally intended to be told when they finished season four. 
So season five, the finale just aired. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking probably more generally about the show and the season than this particular episode. But it, it, this episode is indicative, I think, of the season uh, as a whole, which is why I'm going to, you know, kind of just rant for a little bit. So at the end of season four, we we get this whole storyline with Rebecca and her Alzheimer's and Randall and his anxiety and trying to find a place to help Rebecca with her Alzheimer's and they find this clinical trial in St. Louis and she makes the decision to go and then not to go and then to go. And I forget even where she ended up on it. I think she was going to go. And that was supposed to be a major storyline moving forward with the series. Then the pandemic happened and George Floyd happened and the Black Lives Matter protests happened. And the focus of the season changed in that way. Also, Mandy Moore got pregnant. So I think that really changed what we got from season five. So they incorporated the pandemic into the storyline. They incorporated the protests and this growing sentiment of black pain versus black joy and allyship and all of that. And also it forced, Mandy Moore's pregnancy forced her onto the sidelines because you can't really have a pregnant, you know, 70, 80 something year old Rebecca, right? So that was disappointing. And in general, being a huge Mandy Moore fan, it was disappointing how little Rebecca was in this season. And especially because she's so freaking good on this show and because for the past couple of seasons, so much of the storytelling and the structure of This Is Us has revolved around Rebecca's story. So, you know, generally the outline of This Is Us's season is present with flashbacks and then every once in a while flash forwards. And we get a lot, a lot of times the seasons will fill in gaps from the past of like Jack's death, things like that. But now since season two or three, we have also been getting these flash forwards where we know there's an end point. And we've learned over the course of the few seasons that this end point that everyone is gathering in is Rebecca's death. And we got a few of those this season as well. And then this episode, also gives us a flash forward to, I believe, maybe like two years in the future. And we see that Kate is getting remarried to her boss at her, uh, at her music job, the British guy, Philip, who kind of seemed like a douche throughout the, in the couple little times we saw him this season. And then he makes an appearance in the finale um, saying that he does not accept Kate's resignation because Toby gets a new job and they can't both work full time and raise their kids. So she wants to resign. He says, no, you're too good at your job. So we know that at some point very soon, because of Kate's being remarried and it's about two years in the future, that that's coming up real quick. Uh, I'm assuming it has something to do with Toby's job. It could have something to do with the CrossFit bitch. <laughs> you know, the Kate's marital discord has been sown for a long time. And then we're finally 
seeing that not all of the Pearson kids get these happy endings. You know, Kevin gets the family he wanted. He doesn't get the marriage, but I don't think he wants the marriage. And so I'm all over the place. Sorry. Okay. So this episode is the culmination of what very few plot lines we got this season. And actually, when I was thinking about it, we got a lot more story than I gave the show credit for. I kind of felt like this whole season, nothing really happened. But then I was like, but wait, Kevin and Madison had twins. Kate and Toby had their second child through adoption. Um, Randall found his birth mother. And um, we got that whole backstory. We got some more appearances from Uncle Nicky. We had Tess's whole coming out journey that a lot actually did happen this season, but I don't know, it just felt kind of scattershot. But regardless, this so for this finale, it's all leading up to Kevin and Madison's wedding, which Madison breaks off at the last moment because she realizes that Kevin doesn't actually want to marry her. He just wants the picture-perfect family that he's always imagined for himself. And, you know, she kind of assures him that they can have that without being married and they can be happy. Like, they can be a family without being together and that's okay. And that kind of foreshadows what happens with Kate and Toby, where we've also gotten this storyline throughout the season of Toby having lost his job and looking for a new one and not really having much luck. And then in this episode, he's offered a job at a startup in San Francisco. So he has to physically be in San Francisco for at least three days during the week. Not ideal considering Jack is their son, is still very young and blind. And also they just had a new baby. So not a great situation. But we've also seen throughout the years, um, Kate's jealousy of Toby, Toby's inability to let Kate fully into his life. You know, that whole storyline again with the CrossFit when he lost all that weight and went to the gym when Kate was pregnant and refused to tell her about it. And then was venting to his CrossFit friends, including one that clearly wanted to fuck him about what a bad wife Kate was and all this shit. And then we also know from season, I think it was two or three, I want to say season three, in the first of the flash forwards to Rebecca's deathbed, we see Toby not wearing a wedding ring and saying he's not sure if she wants him there. And now, I mean, now we know that he and Kate are not married. We have confirmation on that. So, Everything was kind of building toward these moments, but it kind of, it didn't really feel like a season finale in a way in that, I don't know, we get this, we get this big reveal of what is to come in what we now know is the final season of This Is Us. The season coming up, season six, will be the last season. You know, that we're going to start to fill in some more blanks with this future storyline of who is there and why, um, we know that Jack turns out well because we've seen him as an adult, that he's a famous musician. We, we know who is in the future so far. We've seen Kevin and Randall and all the girls. Uh, I don't remember if we've seen Miguel or not. We have not seen Kate yet. So that's a little worrisome. Um, maybe something's going to happen there. I don't know. Maybe they were waiting to unveil that in season six because Kate would arrive with Philip, her new husband, and they didn't want to spoil that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. This season was very weird. It was two episodes shorter than usual. It, 
it wrapped up a lot of storylines, but also those storylines didn't feel all that consequential to begin with. Like I said, we didn't get a whole lot of Mandy Moore and Rebecca this season. And I feel like she's for sure the linchpin in the whole thing. Um, it was, it was a slow season. It, it accomplished a lot in this, like kind of the, the family thematics that, that this is us has always dealt in, but I don't know. It felt less, I personally felt less emotionally attached to it this season than usual. And that's not because it wasn't good. It had some truly amazing episodes. The episode where Kevin and Madison had their twins and Kate and Toby had their new child, where they welcomed in a new big three. That was a very good episode. The first couple of episodes with um, Randall and Kate and uh, dealing with Randall's race, that there was a lot of really interesting stuff that happened there. There was a very adult and very, um, I don't know how to, it, it was a very adult, very cathartic in a way conversation that Randall and Kevin had about their relationship and how they've always kind of brought out the best and the worst in each other and how maybe Kevin's resentment comes from a racial place without realizing it. And a lot about just how Randall had a completely different experience growing up than Kate or Kevin did. And the show has touched on that before. There was a whole episode, maybe two or three seasons ago, where Rebecca asked a black family for help in, in teaching Randall things that she wasn't able to things like about his own hair, you know, like little things that she just was not aware of that would affect her son. And so that reckoning at the beginning of the season with Randall kind of being done with giving his family space that he was not afforded himself was really great. But just the whole season, the whole story, I just wasn't as connected as I usually am. And that's reflected in the ratings as well. It's it's no this is us is no longer the highest rated show on broadcast. It is it's fallen pretty precipitously this season. And I, I don't know how much of that is just pandemic viewing habits changing, which I'm sure is actually a lot of it. How much of that is confusion over scheduling? How much of that is fatigue? with the show itself, how much of that is people not wanting a serious emotional family drama right now, <laughs> you know, when we're all dealing with our own family dramas during this pandemic, do we really want to watch other people's family problems? I don't know, but I, I am really interested and in a way excited to see where this final season goes. I hope we get those extra two episodes that we lost this season because This Is Us to me always feels a little rushed to begin with because it doesn't have a full 22 or more season of episodes. And this season was only 16, so I kind of hope we get 20 episodes at least next season. But the fact that Dan Fogelman has always had an endgame for the series gives me hope. And you know, Mandy Moore and a few others did interviews this past couple of weeks talking about how they had filmed a lot of stuff for this episode years ago with like the young kids and stuff like that. And so knowing that there is not only an end in sight and an end planned, but that it's been planned from the beginning makes me feel better about kind of the wonkiness of the COVID BLM storytelling of this season, where it kind of feels like it interrupted, not, not necessarily in a bad way, 
or in a wrong way, but that it kind of like, it feels like things shifted where maybe they weren't planned to be shifted this season. Maybe now we can shift in season six back into what was always planned because I want to know, I, I want to know what happens to this family, you know? Um, from that first season, I was hooked from the first episode, that first season, I love This Is Us. I'm going to stick with it. I'm really curious to know where everyone ends up. And I hope that if you used to watch This Is Us and fell off, that you rejoin for season six. Catch up over the summer. It's on Hulu, Peacock, all that good stuff. Catch up and let's all go back to season one when we this was the water cooler show, <laughs> when this was the show to watch and we all kind of collectively cried together. Let's go back to that. Let's all cry together again. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this new Amazon Prime series, Panic. So this just premiered on Friday, May 28th, the full season of 10 episodes released all at once. And I was really curious about the show for a couple of reasons. One being that this is, I feel like, the exact kind of show that Amazon should be making for Prime. It's based on a book. It appeals to a very specific demographic, but also is kind of generic enough that anybody can want to watch it. And also, I want Amazon to be releasing more shows <laughs> because I pay for the service and I feel like I almost never use it. So, and a lot of the shows they do release, I feel like are aimed at old people <laughs> and people who stream shows tend to be younger. So, I mean, like Bosch is Amazon's most successful show and that I am probably the only person under 40 who has ever even sat through one episode of that show, let alone all of them, which I have. So Panic is based on a book of the same name by Lauren Oliver, who is a relatively prolific young adult author. Her first book was called Before I Fall, and that was turned into a movie like three or four years ago starring Zoe Deutsch. Um, it's on Netflix if you want to watch it. And then she also wrote a trilogy of books um, called Delirium. And then that was adapted into a TV pilot a few years ago as well, I think around 2014, and it starred Emma Roberts and Janine Mason and a few other folks, and it did not go to a series. It was Fox passed on it, and that's about, like, it's a dystopian futuristic novel series where love is considered a disease or something like that. It sounds really stupid, but a lot of people have read these books. So I was curious to see how Panic turned out. Um, one, because in my mind, there has not been a successful adaptation of Lauren Oliver's books, despite how popular they are. And also I read Panic and it was not good. <laughs> but the whole time I was reading it, I kept thinking, oh, this would be an interesting movie or TV series because the, the book is not good in that there is a lot of action and almost no story. So that could make for a fun movie because, you know, if we're sitting there for an hour and a half and just watching a lot of really cool scenes happening together and it's like a summer popcorn action kind of movie, then that can be fun. But like to read a book, I need to know who these characters are. And I need to give a shit about them. And that the book failed on that level. There were just, it was like scene to scene to scene to scene to scene. And I never cared about who the characters were. I never really understood why any of them would be doing this. 
Um, and that really carries over into the show. So I'm only going to be talking about the first two episodes because that's as far as I have gotten so far. Um, so here's the setup of the show. So Panic, like the book, takes place in a small Texas town called Carp. And it's a dead-end town. It's, it's a town where most people, it seems like, live either at or below the poverty line or, you know, very middle working class area. And it follows a large group of teenagers who are seniors and have just graduated and kind of um, follows them in their paths forward after high school. For a lot of them, there is no path forward, including our main character, Heather. She does not have a whole lot of options. Her mom is very poor, single mom. She has a younger sister. They live in a trailer and the mom works, but, you know, is uneducated, not uneducated, but does not have a higher education. So her job is not great. Their car is falling apart. Um, Heather has been working for years at a wireless phone store. And this is not a period piece. <laughs> this is a contemporary show. So you can imagine how well that goes for her. Um, and she's been saving all of her high school career to take accounting courses to get out of town. And she has a goal that she's going to get her associates and she's going to make as much money as possible because she's done the math. And like, even though she herself doesn't like math, an accountant with an associate's degree can make more money than it, than other professions with just an associate's degree, et cetera, et cetera. So she wants to go to school, but she needs $6,000 to enroll. And she saved up all but $500 of that when she finds out her mother steals her money to pay for a new transmission in their car, which like, first of all, if your transmission is $5,500, which is what her mom stole from her, buy a new used freaking car, you dumb bitch. Anyway, uh, what else? So she ends up participating in this game called Panic, where you pay into it um, throughout the year, I believe, and then the winner of this game walks away with the entire pot, which for this show is 50, or for this um, this particular iteration of the game is $50,000. And it's basically a daredevil game where um, you participate in these challenges that are meant to make you feel like you're going to die, but as long as you don't panic, <laughs> you won't. And it's things like being buried alive, um, jumping off cliffs into shallow water, uh, what else, crossing a highway in a blindfold, you know, things of that nature. And in past years, uh, students have died doing these things. So it is dangerous. There are real stakes. And for a lot of the characters, this is how they're going to get out. You know, Heather's best friend Natalie is participating because she wants to be an actress. So she's going to take the money and move to New York to try her hand at acting. Um, Nat or Heather herself needs the money for school and to move away. There's another character whose name is Ray or Roy. I could never really hear what they were saying. Um, he wants Ray. It's Ray. I just looked it up. He wants the money because his family is considered white trash and his father's in jail. So he wants to start over somewhere. So there are stakes for all of these characters. Um, and the game, even though it's kind of basic as hell and not, too interesting is is fun to watch so like i said the biggest issue i had with the book is that there are a lot of really cool set pieces but not a whole lot of actual story or characterization and over the first two episodes it's a lot of the same with the show 
So the best part of the books of the book was these set pieces, these the challenges where they're jumping off of cliffs, where they're going into abandoned houses and stuff like that. And the show, I feel like, makes a really poor decision right from the get-go to not start with that great set piece the book starts with of being at the cliff and jumping in, but rather it ends the first episode there. And the ending of that first episode is really nice. It's shot really cool. Um, it It has some tension to it. And it ends on a really cool note of Heather just like jumping off that cliff and we don't see what happens to her. We just see her disappear over the edge. Like that's a really cool shot to end on. Um, But the rest of the episode, the premiere episode is kind of establishing who these characters are, which they need to do, but they also don't do, in my opinion, enough to really make you care about them. Like Heather gets the most characterization. And she's played by Olivia Welch, who was on a couple episodes of Modern Family. And she's surprisingly decent. Um, But Heather, to me, is not a hugely complicated character. You know, she's stuck in a dead end end town with a dead end mom. She wants to get out. That, to me, is not hugely interesting. It's very boilerplate. And we don't get a whole lot from any of the other characters. There's a new kid in town named Dodge. And all we really get from him is that he wants to participate in Panic, but we don't really know why. Um, Natalie, who is Heather's friend, wants to move away, but we don't really get why. In the second episode, we get more of the why. And then her other friend, who is not participating in the game, uh, Bishop, we know pretty much zero about him other than he dresses better than everyone else. So maybe he comes from a family that has money. So the characterization is slow. And for a show like this, where you're immediately throwing us into the deep end, LOL pun. um, And we need to immediately care about these characters to understand them and to want to continue watching this show. That's kind of a mistake. But at the same time, it also does allow for these fun set pieces. So in the first episode, it's the cliff jumping. In the second episode, it's uh, climbing these two towers and that are near each other and crossing a beam that connects them that's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet off the ground. So we do get some tense moments, some fun moments there, but not enough really that I feel like people are going to want to, like, keep watching. Like I said, I'm only talking about the first two episodes uh, because And it's not because that's all I had time to watch. It's because I haven't really been compelled to, like, let the, the app, the Prime Video app, just keep playing. Like, after I would watch an episode, I would, you know, pause and go do something else. Like, right now I'm making chicken stock instead of watching another episode. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> dumb shit like that where I'm just kind of looking for other things to do rather than keep watching. Like rather than talk on maybe the first four or five of the 10 episodes, I stopped after the second to record this because I feel like that's about where I'm at. Um, but it it is cool to look at. Like I said, it, it does have some visual style, which I like. The, the visual style is it kind of, I'm reminded of it doesn't really look like other young adult 
TV shows. Like it's not glossy. It's not a freeform young adult TV show where it's like Pretty Little Liars. It does kind of have that like grimy kind of sedated feel of Cruel Summer, which is airing right now on Freeform and next day on Hulu. I recommended it a few episodes ago. Watch that. For sure watch that. Um, it, that it kind of has that feeling to it. The acting is all over the place. I was worried about the teenage characters, but they're actually pretty damn good. So you have Olivia Welch, who I mentioned. Mike Faced plays Dodge, the new kid. He was nominated for a Tony for being in the cast of Dear Evan Hansen. And speaking of Dear Evan Hansen, Rachel Bay Jones, who won a Tony for playing Evan's mom, um, it plays Heather's mom in this, and she's great. So watch for her. Uh, Nancy McKeon from The Facts of Life is, is in it. Uh, we haven't met her yet, but she'll be coming up. Uh, Jessica Sula, who was in the UK version of Skins, she plays Natalie. She's good. Uh, who else? Bonnie Bedelia plays uh, a neighbor woman who hires Heather to do some work for her at her farm named Anne. She is from, um, oh God, what is that movie? Cart, what is the movie? Wheel of Love? Why can't I think of that? She was in a movie in the 80s or 90s. Heart Like a Wheel. That's it. Good Lord. It was in the 80s, and she played a drag racer. Whew. That, that hurt my brain coming up with that one. And she was also in Parenthood on NBC as uh, Camille. So she she's great, obviously. She's in it. Um, the cast is actually pretty decent. The... Enrique Mercchiano plays the sheriff. He's giving a little bit of a weird performance. So when I said it's all over the place, I mostly mean from him. Um, he plays the sheriff, and he plays it a little too campy, I think, and a little too winky. Uh, so that's a weird fucking choice. And then especially because at the end of the second episode, spoiler if you want to watch this, skip ahead 15 to 30 seconds, we find out that one of the kids who died playing the game last year is actually his son and um, yeah, died playing Russian roulette and it kind of destroyed the family. So the, when we get that reveal, it makes it all the weirder that he's playing the sheriff as like kind of a semi bumbling idiot. So that's a weird performance, and especially from one of the more seasoned actors on the show. I don't really understand it. Enrique Marciano, if you are unfamiliar, was on Bloodline on Netflix, and my favorite credit of his will always be Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous. He was the FBI agent that was tasked with looking after Sandra Bullock's character, Gracie Hart. Um, but he plays it more along the lines of that character than along the lines of his character from Bloodline. And I feel like in this particular show, because they do take the show very seriously, the tone is very serious. They're like, you know, the, the voiceover, because of course there's a fucking voiceover, um, you know, wants us to know that this is very dangerous and they are taking their lives into their hands because, you know, people die and people die and people die and these kids died. And like, we're reminded constantly that kids have died playing this game. So the fact that it's taken so seriously in the world of this series, but the sheriff doesn't seem to take it as seriously is super strange. But other than that, I was surprised at how decent the acting was. Um, the writing leaves a little to be desired, like I was saying with the adaptation. And that's, I think, partially because Lauren Oliver is the writer of all 10 episodes and she also wrote the book. So I don't know. There's... 
I, I can see this becoming maybe in the next couple of episodes really dull and tired. <laughs> you know, like once I'm kind of over these challenges and the cool looking set pieces and the fun camera angles and all that, like I can see myself getting super bored with this, you know, by episode six or seven. But if they maybe up the ante a little bit by, you know, kind of diverging from the book a little more and like maybe actually making there some making some stakes, you know, like, I, I don't know, kill one of the characters. Like that's the easiest option, I think, for me. Really hammer home these this idea of how dangerous that is, this is. Um, because right now, one of, again, a big problem I have with this show and this book is why are these kids taking their life their lives into their hands for $50,000. Like that is a lot of money, I guess, to a 17, 18 year old, but in the grand scheme of things, not a whole lot of fricking money. It's really not a lot of money, especially when someone died playing Russian roulette the year before and another girl the year before got hit by a fucking 18 wheeler. Like doesn't really seem worth it to me. But then again, I guess, you know, Heather kind of lets us in, in the, first episode that it's like, well, I can either die now playing this game or like I can slowly die over the next few years because my soul will be crushed staying here and having no way out. But I don't know. I'm interested in how the show is going to be received. I can see critics hating it and audiences liking it because again, it is very much in the realm of what I think Amazon Prime Video should be doing. It should be aiming shows at this like younger Netflix demographic. So if you do watch it, let me know. What do you think? But the whole series right now is streaming on Prime Video. I'm curious to know your thoughts. Things are starting to wind down as summer approaches. So we're getting the premieres of some summer TV and um, the finales of a few of our regular season shows. So for this week on Monday, we have the season premiere of American Ninja Warrior on NBC, and the new series follows that called Small Fortune, which was supposed to have aired um, this past season, but was delayed because of the pandemic. That premieres Monday at 10 o'clock. The new season of Hell's Kitchen premieres on Fox, and Fox also has a new animated series starring Lisa Kudrow as the voice of a dog, and it's called Housebroken. On Tuesday, it's the premiere of America's Got Talent and Lego Masters on Fox. On Wednesday, it's the final season premiere of Kim's Convenience on Netflix. Also, the second season of Family Karma returns on Bravo, and the new season of Master Chef on Fox. On Thursday, Paramount Plus is dropping the second season of Why Women Kill and Jersey Shore Family Vacation returns from its hiatus. And uh, Ryan Serhant from Million Dollar Listing New York gets a new limited series spinoff called Ryan's Renovation about him renovating his townhouse that he bought last season on the show in Brooklyn. Then on Friday, Emergency Call, which is like that reality TV show version of 911 returns to ABC, and on Sunday, we get the return of the, of some ABC game shows in Celebrity Family Feud and To Tell the Truth, as well as a new season of The Great Food Truck Race on Fox. For finales, on Wednesday, the season finale of Nancy Drew airs that has been renewed and will be back in the fall on Friday nights on The CW. 
The season finale of Station 19 and Grey's Anatomy airs on ABC, and the season finales of Special Victims Unit and Organized Crime, the Law and Order series, air on NBC. Everything's Gonna Be Okay, second season ends on Freeform. And then on Sunday, the series finale of Pose airs on FX. So since this is Memorial Day, happy Memorial Day, and it's the unofficial start of summer, my recommendation this week is on Paramount Plus, and it's a nostalgic one for me. Paramount Plus has a whole shit ton of back catalog on the app. And one of my favorites that I've already watched once and I'm starting to watch again because I have no life and want to live my childhood over again <laughs> is one of my favorite shows from when I was younger on Nickelodeon and it's Salute Your Shorts. Salute Your Shorts only ran for two seasons, but I feel like it was on for 10 years because they aired reruns so frequently on Nick when I was a kid. And I watched it all the time and it was like the same, I, I think there were only 25-ish episodes and they aired them again over and over. So I, I basically memorized most of these episodes and Paramount Plus has a few of them, not the whole series, which is kind of annoying considering it's a pay service and like you own all this content, just fucking put all of it on. What, what, why? And, but the episodes that are there are some of the best, like the Zeke the Plumber episode where uh, there's a camp urban legend about a ghost haunting everyone who was the camp plumber and had his nose blown off. <laughs> and uh, what other episodes? The, the one, Cheeseburgers in Paradise, I think it's called, which is the one where Donkey Lips and Sponge are trying to lose and gain weight respectively to compete in a wrestling tournament and they go to pick up hamburgers at a stand outside a camp for everyone and almost get caught. I love that episode. So some of the better episodes are here, but and it is frustrating that it's not all of them, but still with it being the start of summer and this being a show that was such a big part of my summer vacations as a kid because I was not athletic, <laughs> still not, and I hated being outside, but I did love watching shows about being outside. <laughs> and Salute Your Shorts was one of them. Also, I never went to sleepaway camp and this show made me want to go to sleepaway camp. So that's my recommendation for the week. Salute Your Shorts. There are, I think, six episodes from each season, seasons one and two on Paramount Plus. Go check them out. Also, because they are back catalog shows, there are no commercials, even if you have the tier where you pay for commercials, which I do. So that's wonderful as well. All right. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic. I hope you all have a wonderful and safe Memorial Day weekend, and I will see you back here next week for more recaps, more reviews, more news, and more recommendations. Have a good week, everyone.